the set. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Happy International Workers' Day, May Day, May the 1st. Beltane. I'll explain all that in a minute. If you don't know what it is, you're about to find out. And the eagle-eared among you might notice that there's a different a different theme tune this week. I've been working on some new music for uh, Northern Gothic 2, which I will be uh, releasing at some point towards the end of the year, I reckon. So this is just a wee track. This is, called, this is going to be the, the name of the album, I think. It's going to be called uh, Letters to a Young Rebel. And this is going to be the intro. That's what the plan is. That can change. So I thought, I thought you would like that. I thought you guys on my uh, who, who listen to this would, would appreciate that. It's pretty groovy. I really like it. Um, I got uh, yeah, it's weird. Turn it down a little bit. Um, I got um, I got new software for 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 my music production work and I had to sort of go on a bit of a learning curve the reason I got new stuff is because of the stuff that I was using the VA, they're called VSTs um, I was using a lot of stuff by a company called Waves and they changed their 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 model really from a, you just we just buy the, the, the thing to a subscription and people went mental, they hated it. But I fell out with them before then because I swapped platforms. I, I changed from uh, Windows based to Mac just over a year ago. And I tried to bring the software that I'd bought with me and they, I wasn't able to do it. They wouldn't, And I contacted the company and they said, no, 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 you got to buy it all again. And I went, yeah, fuck you, that's not happening. So. It's a bit of a shame. It means that if I ever had to go back and, and do any edits on Northern Gothic, I wouldn't be able to do it because the plugins that I use to create the sounds aren't, I don't have them anymore. Or, well, I would probably have to buy them. And there's another reason that I don't want to do that is because Waves, it turns out, I didn't know this at the time, at the time uh, are in Israel, based in Israel, which I, I, I'm a, supporter of the the, 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 the the divestment and sanctions um, that should that uh, on Israel so uh, I, did, I did that by mistake, I didn't realise until it was much too late so although it annoyed me at the time, in the end it's a good move for me because I moved to another company and I'm using, not exclusively their, their software but uh, a lot of it, sound toys they're called and I, I sprung for their package, the big package that they have, and it's bloody brilliant. I love it. It's really, really good. Really, just, just good. Does what it says in the tin. I like that. So, that was really fucking boring, wasn't it? So anyway, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to politics, culture, and some other shit. And um, you can follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Patreon if you want to for a pound a month. You can head over there and you get first access to everything that I put out, which isn't an awful lot these days. I'm sort of getting up to about, about one a week at the minute. But, um, you know, you know the crack. You know I'm not the most reliable person in the world when it comes to this. So, so yeah, so there we go. Did you enjoy that little bit of music? I hope I hope you did. It's, it's very cool. I think so. It's very cool anyway. So, 
let's get to it. What are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about, uh, well, first of all, International Workers' Day. Now, the May Day Parade is supposed to be today for the trade unions across the world, but in Belfast, we have it in the north in the north of Ireland. Here, we have it on the, on just on the Saturday. They just it's just passed. Um, so I went up to that and I interviewed. I had a bit of a chat with a buddy of mine who's a shop steward, Jack Dunwoody. I'll play you that in full. As we marched through the parade, I just interviewed him as we were walking. It was lovely. He's a great guy, very fond of him, very passionate, and I like that. And uh, the great Mick Lynch was in Belfast. So um, I'll play a little bit of a little bit of that. And he was he was the keynote speaker at the uh, at the rally, which culminated at Belfast City Hall. And it was fantastic, and all the unions were there. They explained basically, it was a rally of solidarity, you know, in in as unions are wont to do on International Workers' Day. But they also explained a lot of there was unions there that haven't. For example, there was the head teachers' union. They were on strike during the week. They haven't. They've never been on strike. First time ever. And as some of the speakers were saying from the stage. People like barristers and consultants, consultant surgeons and things like that. They're now talking about going out and strike. This is it's fucking nuts. The Tories have ran the country into the ground and there's no sign of them letting up. They're so devoid. They're, they're idiots. I mean, they really are idiots. And at this point, they've fucked everything up so badly that I don't know if they can fix it. They're certainly not. We're, we're certainly not electing our best. We are we're not doing that, and that's on us, the the voting public. But once these people get into power, I just it's just how how anyone votes for a Tory or a Unionist at this point. I have no idea. I, I just don't understand. I just I genuinely don't get it. So we'll start at the beginning. What is International Workers Day? We'll start. Well, we'll start with. We'll start at the beginning. The beginning. The first beginning. What is and what is May Day? So in Ireland, um, May Day has been celebrated in Ireland since pagan times as the feast of Beltane. That's today. So we're going to light a little fire here later later on at the house. And in latter times, as Mary's Day, traditionally bonfires were lit to mark the coming of summer and to grant luck to people and livestock. Officially Irish May Day holiday is the first Monday in May today. The tradition of a Maybush was reported as being suppressed by law and the magistrates in Dublin in the 18th century. Old traditions such as bonfires are no longer widely observed, though the practice still persists in some places across the country. Limerick, Clare and among other, other people in other counties still keep this tradition, including areas of Dublin city such as Ringsend. Um... I, I I would sort of generally disagree with that statement that there there it's not it's not as widely practiced because it was practiced everywhere, and we know that Irish culture was suppressed by the British, so we we did we, we all lost so many traditions, but it's still widely practiced. I mean, still loads of people practice it. We practice it here. There's four or five bonfires lit round our way tonight. Then we say bonfires there. Fires in the back. We've got 
wood burner in the backyard and that's what we light our fire. So, yeah, and it's true, if you go to certain counties you will see at night time there will be fires lit all over the... In, in South Armagh, you get it as well quite a lot. You'll you'll be driving this time in, at night time and you'll see fires dotted throughout the countryside. So, so that's what it is traditionally. Now, what has it become with regards to trade unions, workers' rights, etc., etc.? It's become International Workers' Day. So International Workers' Day, also known as Labour Day in some countries, and often referred to as May Day, is a celebration of labourers and the working classes that is promoted by the international labour movement and occurs every year on the 1st of May or or on the first Monday of May. So I'm reading this from Wikipedia for those of you that are listening and not watching. Traditionally, the 1st of May is the date of the European Spring Festival. Um, so in Ireland, that's Beltane, right? Uh, in 1889, a mark, the Marxist International Socialist Congress met in Paris and established the Second International as a successor to the earlier International Working Man's Association. They adopted a resolution for the Great International Demonstration in support of the working class demands for the 8-hour day. The 1st of May date was chosen by the American Federation of Labour to commemorate the general strike in the United States, which had begun on the 1st of May 1886 and culminated in the Haymarket Affair four days later, which the Haymarket Affair, as you can see there, is also known as the Haymarket Massacre, the Haymarket Riot, or the Haymarket Incident, was the aftermath of a bombing that took place at a Labour demonstration in Haymarket Square, Chicago, Illinois. So, <coughs> excuse me, the demonstration subsequently became a yearly event. In 1904, the Sixth Congress of the Second International also called on all social democratic party organisations and trade unions of all countries to demonstrate energetically on the 1st of May for the legal establishment of an eight-hour day, for the class demands of the proletariat and for universal peace. What a bunch of bastards. These people, if you listen to the people who are opposed to this, you'd think, you know, this is evil stuff. doesn't sound evil to me. The 1st of May or the modern, or the first Monday in May is a national public holiday in many countries, as it is here. In most cases, as International Workers' Day or a similar name. Some countries celebrate a Labour Day on other dates significant to them such as the United States and Canada, would celebrate Labor, Labor Day on the first Monday of September. In 1955, the Catholic Church dedicated the first of May to St. Joseph the Worker. St. Joseph is the patron saint of workers, craftsmen, among others. So there you go. You know what it is. And that's why we were out uh, marching on a wee rally full of lovely flags and very colourful affairs they are. I'll show you some photographs from the day. Um, it's interesting there, though, don't you think that um, the 1st of May date was chosen by the American Federation of Labour? And it's one of the things that we don't, don't, we don't, see, we don't associate America with workers' rights and, you know, the labour movement. But um, pre-World War Two, that very much was the case. Uh, the Socialist Party and the Communist Party in America were, were really big. And together they, I think, at their height, they maybe a 
accounted for something like 30, 40% of the, of the votes. Um, they were then, it was after World War Two. then it became demonised. The Red Scare happened and the Joseph McCarthy hearings and it basically wiped out the Socialist parties and the, the Communist Party. And uh, ever since then, you know, America has been basically a, um, a one-party state. Two sides of the same coin, two chicks of the same arse types of parties. As long as you have the common enemy, which in those days was the Red Scare of the Communists. We know we've gone through it all, you know. It's been Muslims, it's been uh, South American immigrants. And in this country we've had, uh, well I said this country, I mean the UK. Uh, those same things, you know, Communists, the Red Scare, etc. Um, I was, I was, as I was saying to, to Pete, the other, my mate Pete at the rally the other day, we're old enough to remember that the moral panic of the day was about me, us, Irish people. We were the we were the we were the the the, the flavour of the day, the bogeyman. And people forget that. They never, no one ever mentions that. So you know, we've seen us go through um, the Middle East, turn their countries into. Um, Hell holes. These ancient civilizations destroyed them and turned them into living hell holes. Created a migrant crisis, and then we blame them for wanting to come to get away from the the shit that we created. So then those people get villainized in the press, as they are now. They're coming from Sudan and other places, as as you probably know. But at one point, it was us. We we Irish. We were the. You know, we've gone through different iterations of this. The fifties and the sixties, you know, no dogs, no Irish, no blacks, that sort of thing. And then in the in the eighties and the nineties, it was us. I remember getting pulled over, pulled in at airports, and getting searched and questioned by shadowy figures who never identified themselves. You know, just because I was an Irish Catholic, as it was, you know, in in. But just being Irish was the thing. Really, it wasn't so, even so much as being an Irish Catholic, although. That was one of the things that they looked for. So it's important to remember those things. You know, whenever we we see these things on on the on the TV and in the press, where migrants and and they, they create these phrases, you know, small boats and all you know, all this sort of stuff. We must remember that at one at one point that 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 was us. We were those people. We were the people that were being. We were being villainized. We were being second-classed, third-classed, just by virtue of the fact of being alive and where we were born. So, anyway, I digress. So you know what International Workers' Day is now, don't you? So you're one better already, just for having tuned in. So, the, the man of the moment, the mighty Mick Lynch, was... At the rally, so here he is leading the rally. I'm going to play this little video for you, and you can see it now. Uh, let me just check it. I've got the sound on for this. I do. I think I do. Okay, we'll find out in a minute, won't we? There we go. There he is.
Oh, that didn't work, did it? I know it didn't work because it doesn't have the audio in. So, ah, sorry, people. So it affects the car. But you've done tremendous work. The trade unionists there on is. this island are the salt of the earth. And they've kept our movement going through thick and thin. For all the struggles that you've had, the struggles for peace and justice and democracy, it's been the trade unions that have kept our spirits alive, that have kept this movement going, bringing all of our people together, no matter what their heritage, no matter what their background. And we have to keep doing it. Because we know, as been said, the ultra-right are going to exploit division. They're seeking to do it in the South. They're seeking to do it up here. They're seeking to do it in England. Open Nazis are trying to divide our people one from another. And these Tories, these oligarchs, as they should be called, some of the richest people in our society, are trying to blame some of the poorest people in the world for the problems over here. And we cannot allow that to happen. So there he is, getting photographs with the... Uh, they want a fair society. People. They want an equal society. They want a world where they can live in decent standards of living. And they want a future for their children that's based on preserving our planet that we all rely on, preserving our society and living in a world of peace and justice. These are the best values of our movement. And we've got to make sure while we're fighting these these battles on pay and conditions, that we keep our eyes on the prize. Because the task in front of us as trade unionists, as socialists, is to build a better world for all of us. That's what our forebears gave us the task of doing. And we've got to commit ourselves from this meeting going forward, all the other meetings, build your union, build our movement. Let's change this society. Let's do the job for our people and create a better world for all. Thank you very much. Solidarity. So there you go, Mick Lynch, what a guy, and he was referring to, he was talking about the rise of the far right, north and south, and things broke my heart a little bit, I've mentioned it before in this podcast, <clears throat> now, I know that we have racists in this country, you know, I would go so far as to say a certain amount of racism exists within my own family. J- judging by some of the distasteful comments I've heard a few of them make from time to time. As I'm sure, which is kind of sadly normal. But don't let it be normalised. Don't let them away with it. As I don't. Which is why half of them don't speak to me anymore. But... Um, I'm not so naive to think... I thought Ireland didn't have a racist, a racist problem. But it turns out we do. There's a there's a crowd. I was just looking, seeing this on my phone. I'll show you because I haven't got it loaded in. Oh look, there's mythical Ireland. So there's there's the the Beltane. See it on my phone there. You can see the, a bonfire being lit. See these are the sort of people I follow on on Instagram. Uh, so let me see if I can see it here. I just saw it there. What was scanning it while Mick Lynch was talking, and now it's gone away. As is, Ugh. so nah, never mind. But there's a crowd called the Irish Alliance, and they are they, they have aligned themselves with the BNP crowd in England, and they go protesting at, at migrant centres and all the rest of it. Now, 
My take on that is, I understand why a working class community would have questions about how they're going to provide the services needed for lots of immigrants coming into the community. We know that our primary school class sizes are already stretched to beyond breaking point. We don't have enough teachers, we don't have enough doctors, the health services are in crisis, etc, etc. So then you, you ship in, as Ireland has something like 70 or 80,000 Ukrainians, just, just for one example. That's a lot of people. But it's not that we can't accommodate them. We can. We've got the resources to do it, but the government isn't, doesn't but doesn't allocate the resources properly. So I understand if a working class community says, excuse me, we'll have, there's no problem, we can take these people. But you understand, we're going to need extra help to deal with them. We're going to need resources allocated to the social services and infrastructure within the community to provide what these people need, right? So I get that. I get that bit. So what happens is those those resources aren't allocated, and that creates a vacuum. And into the vacuum go these far-right people, these Irish alliance crowd, and they are aligned with the scum of the earth, the shite hawks. We've got lots of them here in Belfast, that, that Nolene Bunton, Bunton, fucking idiot, and people like that, who are just fascists. Um, what, what do you get? There's a, and, and they're all aligned, they're all, their mates over here are all loyalists. That's who, that's who they associate with. So these fuckers down south that are trying to stir, um, uh, trying to create uh, tensions among the local people, the indigenous people, and the immigrants that are coming in looking for a new life in our in our country, um, they are aligned with British nationals, the Ulster loyalists. These people are all scum. They're pol- they're politically defunct. It's an ideology of hate, division, conquest, superiority, and that's. So the the government aren't answering the questions for the local people or providing them with the resources. So these people come in and stir up the tensions. So they come in and go, we will listen listen to you. And the, the people ask the questions and then these people give them their answers. And then that's how you end up with a, a right wing working class population. It's happened in England many many few times over the, the 20th century and it's it, it sadly it looks like it might be happening here although I don't know how successful they're going to be, they're going to be by their standards but they're they're certainly creating waves put it that way and it's it's sad it's really fucking sad because and the reason that I said that because with Ireland, we are a nation of immigrant immigrants. We've been emigrating out of this country ever since we were we were conquered by the by the English, by the British. You know, our population has been decimated, down to two million at one point from a high of eight and a half million. Do you know at the time of the English um, conquest of Ireland, the population of England was eight million, and the population of Ireland was eight and a half million. There was more people in Ireland. Isn't that nuts? But England was a nation state. We weren't. We were all just tribes and clans, all loosely affiliated. 
so and easily con conquered by our organized neighbor and that's the, the key word there organized we need to keep get and stay organized in our workplaces and in our communities and in our societies that these far-right elements that Mick Lynch have referred to don't get a foothold in working-class communities because we know that they exist at an elite level because elite level society overview of society does see the world in a in a, in a pyramid that they're on the top of it and everything else is below but we're working class people we don't see it like that we see the world as a as a more fair more equitable it needs to should be a more fair more equitable place where everybody's equal everyone has the same rights that's not what these fuckers think so I'll show you now now as I said at the start we've got an interview with my friend Jack Dunwoody who is a? We'll explain it in the in the thing, but he's a he's a shop steward. So here's some photographs from our day up in Belfast. Those of you that are listening to this and not watching, there's me interviewing Jake. You can see it right there, and there's Pete. I just realised how stupid looking these trainers are on me, so I'll be fucking throwing them out. There's my beautiful daughter Summer. She's a wee rabble, so she is very, very proud of her. And that's Kelly, Pete's beautiful wife. You see Pete right there. You wonder how he got someone like Kelly. Sorry, Pete. You look like mutton compared to your wife. Uh, that's Jake in the middle. And there's me. And by the way, that's the same applies to me too. My wife's gorgeous. And this big fucking Irish head. Um, and there's some of the workers from various unions. I don't know. I can't read their... Nipsa. There's Nipsa. They were out. They were all out. Everyone was out. It was fantastic. So what I'll do is, there's me. There's me interviewing Jake, and there's Pete standing beside us. And I may as well. So I'll just play this. Um, this interview. It's about ten minutes, and you can hear the background. You can hear what was going on on the day. So um, check it out. Testicles one two. Testicles one two. <laughs> so here we are in Belfast. So I'm going. To, I'm talking to Jake from what's your union? The Bakery Food and Allied Workers Union. Bakery Food and Allied Workers Union. Your mentioned by mentioned by Marx, by the way. So oh, oh, there we go. That's your bona fides. Yeah. <laughs> You're shop steward, right? Yes, I'm branch secretary and shop steward. I've been for over 30 years. Okay, so tell my listeners what you're doing here, what we're doing here today. Well, today here we're celebrating International Workers' Day. This is what our May Day parade is. Not actually on the May Day itself. It's on the Saturday before it. And we're down here with the Belfast Trades Council, who organises this every year. And this is a time for solidarity, a bit of comradeship, meeting other friends from other unions, other brothers and sisters. And I will come here once a year. And it's basically, as a, as a trade unionist for me, it's the biggest day of the year. Yeah. And how's the turnout this year? The turnout has been very, very good this year. Last year was a bit of a bit of a, uh, a bit of a bummer because uh, it was the first um, parade we had after COVID, and I think people were a bit apprehensive about coming out. Plus, it was a bad day as well. But this is a really, really good turnout today. I think a lot of people are here for a certain individual, Mr. McLynch, who's came yeah. from the RMT. So they're coming here to see him speak at City Hall, which is a big, big, big thing. Great trade unionist. Uh, shall I say, slayer of Tories and of right-wingers and <laughs> one of my heroes. Good man. I was, I was Obviously, I was going to just come on to the Mick Lynch thing. Um, as you've already said, Mick Lynch is here today. So, why... Do you know why our May Day is not on May Day? 
Well, maybe it used to be a bank holiday years ago, and I think it actually changed because a lot because the working conditions have changed and terms and conditions have changed in most companies. A lot of companies like myself, we don't actually get May Day off. May Day is not a statutory ah, holiday for us. Right, right, so what right. they do is now they arrange it. Now some years it's the, say the last Saturday in um, April, and then sometimes it's the first Saturday in, in May, depending on what way it falls, what way the calendar is. But um, a lot of workers like myself don't get May Day off. So yeah. this is our opportunity to come down here and attend yeah. our rally. Although today I had to take this holiday to come here, but who cares? Uh, big the, day, big uh, day. There you go, there you, you go. Know what I mean? So, but as you see, I mean, it, it is a bit of a. I feel like it's a little bit of a coup to get Mick here, yeah, well, as you said. So, yeah. Mick Lynch, the slayer of Tories, the man is, you know, he's almost, uh, he's re-energised the, the, the union movement, I would say, not single-handedly, because he's admitted himself he doesn't do anything on his own, but with his, with his ability to talk to these, to, you know, to slay Tories and to put these fucking idiots on the TV in their place. He's managed to re-energise and become a bit of a rock star. I think, I think Mix became a bit of a rock star in the trade union for the simple reason is, we have this here sort of way like, privileged Tories who think that guys who, and, and women who are in the trade union movement are ill-educated oiks. And the point is, whenever you're sort of way faced with the reality of guys and girls who come up through the workforce and who actually represent workers in the workplace and then get to that their level yeah, of yeah. Um, a leader of, 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 a, of a major trade union, yeah. a, a major trade union, and uh, he can hold his own, if not slaughter all around him yeah. is a great thing for us and it's a great thing for trade unionists and for shop stewards, brand secretaries, because the point is, you know, he is the guy that we aspire to be. He's the guy when Mick sort of way speaks, he sort of so way. So would you would you look at him as almost like you should be trying to emulate him in a well, lot of ways? Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very much. So yeah. I, I've, I've, I've often said it to Peter. I mean, when Mick Lynch speaks, and you, you know my wife Fred, when yeah. Mick Lynch speaks, I want to get the red flag out in a P34 tank. 100%. I want to storm. I want to <laughs> yeah, storm yeah. Parliament. I want to storm Stormont. <laughs> yeah. I want to go down because the point is he just lifts you up. And the point is there's a lot of working class people who have been sort of way subdued for so long and have sort of way fallen into this sort of way trap up then that's the way it is but when you see Mick Lynch you see Dempsey you see these people yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what let's get into them let's yeah, really yeah. really go for it and that's the beauty that's the beauty of it the fact that I mean I went over and often get a photograph taken with anyone went yeah fair enough you know I've got a photograph alongside shall I say a hero of the trade union movement yeah he's up there with Scargill you know what I mean yeah, he's oh, that type of guy right yeah and the point is I mean Scargill did it very very tough times he's doing it after 12 13 years of a sturdy and I may eat it on a bet by certain elements of the Liberal Democrats on by members of the Labour Party but Mick stood his ground for the working class and for that I mean we owe him that kind of like allegiance we owe him that there. We, 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 sh we should emulate him as you said we yeah. should go out there and do what he's doing we yeah. should sort of way I mean we need to cultivate I mean we need to educate the working class because the working yes. class are in a situation where you know People don't want to know. People just want to bury their head in the sand. You know, when people like a Peter, myself, Neil, Laura, Kevin, we're at the cold face. We're fighting. We're yeah. fighting battles day in, day out for members on the work floor. But when you see someone like a Mick, and yeah. he's come to my town, yeah. he's come to my hometown, yeah. and my Mayday parade, I've got a photograph taken. He's going. To, he is going to speak with the Belfast Trade Unionists. It's a big, big, big deal for absolutely. me. Oh, absolutely, absolutely big for I, me. I think. I think the thing that Mick has has done that I can uh, see is 
because he stays on message, he stays on point, and he shows how silly the capitalist and the Tory arguments are, and he punctures their arguments so simply. And you see him do that time and time again, and that inspires me. I watched him. I watched him yesterday. He was uh, in a parliamentary uh, committee debate yesterday, and uh, they were talking about this here. You know, having levels of. Uh, cover whenever there's a strike taking place and basically what they've done is they've actually asked people to uh, go against their democratic process and he, he get into the Tory party and saying you know this is the probably what you're doing is probably what you would deem to be the most unconservative thing you're taking away people's right to free speech you're people taking away yeah, people's yeah, right yeah. and then you're going back to the combination actually 1823 1825 when trade unions were banned from striking you know we're going 200 years and we're still fighting the same battles that our forefathers fought 200 years ago for trade union movement. Well, every day of those 200 years, they have tried to take those rights yes, back. You know, as I, I've always said, Andy, um, people ask me, you know, I mean, they're always critical of trade unions, and then they're a wee bit au fait with conservatism and Tories, right? And I've always asked them, tell you what, name me two things the Conservative Party's ever done for the working people. And then they come back to me and say to me, well, name me what the trade union's done for us. Yeah. And you rattle it off. Yeah. You rattle it off. Well, rattle it off. Go, you know what I mean? Okay, yeah, right. I asked them, Sim- simple, right? 40 hour a week, yep. weekends off, sick pay, holiday pay, um, child benefits, voting for men and for women, although women got a lot later than men did. But the point is, all those are brought about. And our greatest achievement, I think, for the working class has been the National Health Service. And yeah. I think, uh, which is trying to be stripped now by Tories and by elements of the Labour Party. It's stripped, but the point right? is, all those, all, all those things were brought about through the trade union movement, through sacrifice, and a lot of a lot of men and women were put to death and were set up. You know, the Joe Hills of this, we're the Toll Polar Martyrs. They all fought, they sacrificed all that for us. And the point is, I think we should remember, I think we should emulate, I think we should actually do better than them. I yeah. think we should, we, we, we should, we should strive, strive to be like them. Yeah. Toll Puddle or Joe Hill. Yeah. Or Conley, whoever you want to talk yeah. about. We can talk about all these great, Heroes, you know. I mean, the strange thing about it is, for me, as, as on the cusp of my 60th birthday, you know, I revere the people who I was brought up to revive. Yeah. And you know, and, and with age comes maturity, and you look at life through a panoramic view, and you see it for what it is, and then you realise, you know, those guys yeah. were my heroes. Yeah. You know what I mean? They yeah. always were. Yeah. And the point is, they're the people calling. You know what I mean? Give me Conley's Ireland tomorrow, oh, and I'll dive at it. I'll dive at it. That's and but the, yeah. the, 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 these are people who, um, one section of community here, or one section of society in the UK, look at, you know, the revile. But yet these people done so much to get what we have. Well, they laid it down. They laid their li- their literal lives they're, they're down. Like, yeah. Literal lives down in order that we can, as you said, we enjoy these rights. But yeah. the, the and it's good to enjoy them. The, the sin, the crime, is that we take them for granted. Yes, and they were hard won. And they were hard won. And I mean, the point, as I say, people it cost people their lives, yeah. right? And people have been sort of like exiled to Australia, Botany Bay, whatever you want to call it, back in the day, because they had the audacity to form a trade union, right? Yeah. And I mean, a few years after the Toll Polar Martyrs, even though they, they, they came back to England, you know what I mean? They brought in the Combination Act and they've done away with trade unionists actually formulating. Um, together to uh, fight for the rights, you know? Yeah. And th- I, 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 find, I, I find it difficult at times whenever I, I speak to other working class people who have absolutely no love 
for the trade union, but they have no understanding of what the trade union have given them and all the rights and all the benefits that they have yeah. and what we have in society, which are trying to be stripped away, I may add, by the Tory party. But that is but, but that is the battle. That, that is, is, the that battle. is the battle. It is, yeah, to, yeah. is to let people know what it is a trade union does because if you just listen to watch mainstream media I hate using that word mainstream that phrase mainstream media um, but it, it, it is apt in this uh, instance if you just listened and watched those outlets yeah you wouldn't know what a trade union has done for you no it's not because the trade unions we, 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 we are sidelined and they bring it on they bring them on uh, like a mech who can, and demonized yes sidelined and demonized yeah. but you bring a like a mech on who can actually tie them up in knots but the point is trade unions have been giving a bad a bad rep by you would say, okay, it's a we have like a Gobble-esque, whatever you want to call it, media. Yeah. We have this propaganda sort of way. They're all propaganda outlets yeah. for the government, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? But you have Mick coming on, who's putting across a case that they can't argue against, right? But the point is, so what happens is, after Mick became to the fore as far as the trade union movement went, all of a sudden, he was sidelined by the TV, by radio. The sidelined because the point yeah. is, they didn't want his argument. They didn't want yeah. his argument to get out. They didn't want his cause yeah. to get out there. You can't, for you can't have him making them no, look bad. No, you can't. No, because can't. because I mean, and the point is, he makes them look bad yeah. constantly. And yeah. honestly, and it's honestly, I I, I usually I wear a her. Go ahead. Sorry. I wear I wear a her net and work. And when you watch Mick Lynch. Take on the Tories. It's about as it's, it's about as difficult for him as me putting on my hair and that work. And, and, and I mean that, or put my earmuffs on. It's so simple because the yeah. point is, he gets to the core issue. Yeah. And the point is, he, he slays them on their sort of way belief than what we have in a Up free society. What we have in a free society because they deem about oh, freedom of speech. Ah. But not that freedom of speech. Yeah, you know, you yeah, can't be yeah, yeah. Like and the trans sort of way trip him up, and he just he laughs at them. But but the, the, th- the thing that I've noticed with with the way that the discourse has gone between Mick Lynch and uh, the mainstream media, whenever they first, when he was first sort of introduced to the the wider public, they definitely went after him like he was a working class oik, as you says, and they didn't treat him with any respect. If he ever gets on those channels now, which is rare, they don't have the same level of disrespect. No, they don't because, they, the point because is they're afraid. They're afraid of actually. They know saying. they're going to get crucified. And that's it. And the point is, look. I know a lot of working class people who have come through tough times in their lives, not very well educated, but let me tell you something, see when it comes to something like a being a dying in the world socialist or fighting their corner for the workers, the time management up in nuts. Yeah. And yeah, management yeah, have this and yeah. management have this here sort of like inherent belief. You know what, Sunshine? I've got a degree. You're basically I work in a bacon trade, so you're a donut. Yeah. Oh no, I'm not a donut brother, you know what I mean? Yeah. Smart I mean he sat with me. I run rings around our managers. Yeah. Because the sense the set down rules for me in terms of conditions and the point is I have to fight my best case within those rules. Sometimes those rules can be a bit ambiguous, but that ambiguity gives me armor and armor to fight back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The freedom of speech things get me not the minute because the point is you have this freedom of speech where the right winger saying, you know, we can say what we want. That's okay, well cannot be applied to us. Yeah. No, you can't say that. Well, so, well, well, what they do is they frame the, yeah, they, they, fr- they, they yeah. frame the, the yeah, the, the, and they frame the, so, so they, uh, they, they introduce these rules of engagement that are completely arbitrary and made up just to suit them. They're, yeah. clear, they're clearly that's what they are, and then we've got to. 
conduct ourselves within their fucking rules. Yeah. You're like, why? Why? But, but, probably because it's legal, but you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's legal on their terms. It's legal on their terms. You know, yeah. see, so we got to make our own terms. Yes. And I, 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 I've, I've used this excuse or this um, argument on numerous occasions with uh, the management to say, oh, but it's legal, Jake. I said, I know it's legal, but is it moral? There's a difference. 100%. Right? 100%. Is it moral? 100%. You know what I mean? Oh, but it's within the rules. The rules are laid down. I says, I know, but the point is, it's wrong. Yeah. It's morally wrong. It's morally wrong. And but I think that's what happens with Parliament but now, but because but Parliament bring in these, they bring in these acts of Parliament, they bring in these laws, they bring in these rules and regulations, right? The stymie us. Yeah. You're not allowed to strike. Oh, you have to give adequate Strike cover. Yeah, right? uh, uh, we yeah. follow the rules. See, see yeah, I've yeah, been yeah. on strike. See, you're going on strike. You have to jump through loads and loads and loads of hoops. But the general public doesn't know no. that. The general public thinks that he's just got fuck it. That's it. Yeah, Light, lightning yeah, strike. Off we we'll like go. That. You got it. It takes weeks and weeks and weeks of. Well, look at this here, right? You go on strike, right? You don't get any pay for it. You yeah. lose a day's pay because the company's not going to pay it because you're out on strike. You've withdrawn your labour, right? But people seem to think that you know. This is a last resort. Striking is a last resort. You know, if you could, if you could sort of way um, improve your terms and conditions, um, improve your wages without actually having to go out on the street, we would do it. But companies push you to the nth degree, and the only the, our, our, our last course of action is withdrawing our labour. Yeah. And the point is, when we withdraw our labour, then we prove how necessary we are and how essential we are for that company to make money. Which is a very simple thing to, to get your head around, but it seems to be very difficult for a lot of people. No, see, because, right, use the royal way in most companies, right? Management think that they're the way whenever the bonuses come in and the profits are up one year. Then the next year we go for a pay rise, there is no profits, and then we become the way because we're the ones who have to make the sacrifice, we're the ones who have to change our terms and conditions, work longer hours for less money. That's how it works, the royal way. Yeah. And that really, really takes me to the fur. It really blows my mind. I mean, I have managers this weekend, right? They're off on Monday. They're off on May Day. They're off on my day. They're off on Workers' Day. They get that as a start holiday, and I have to work it. How's that fair? See all the sacrifices that we've made and the trade union movement have made over the last 200 years? The people who do get most out of that are managers. They get their 40-hour week. They get their weekends off. They get their full sick pay. They get everything. They get all the start holidays. I get Christmas Day and the 12th of July. They get them all. Yeah. And people like me, better people than me back in the day, sacrificed to get those rights and get those days off for the workers, and they're the only ones who benefit from it. And I lose out. Wow. Okay. But it's true, Andy. I know it's true. I'm going to wrap it up now because we're going to go into a loud thing where yes. we'll be able to hear you talk. Well, so look, comrades, keep a good fight upright. See the revolution. Let's keep fighting until hell freezes over. And see when it does, let's fight on the ice. Yeah, the workers. Testicles, one, two. What about that? What about that? Um, I hope I don't get this, not get demonetized. I don't get any money for these on YouTube anyway. Not that there's enough views to, to make a difference, but I hope it doesn't get, um, I just realized, because there was a song playing in the background there. And that's the sort of shit that they do. They'll, they'll turn around and cancel your video or take it down because of that. Yeah, whatever. Fuck them. So, there we go. That was Jack Dunwoody. Again, I forgot the name of his union, but it's the, basically Baker's. Baker's union. 
as he as he said, it was that uh, union was actually mentioned by Marx. And what I don't know, but you know, Jack would be able to. I was seeing something that he'd written. So there we go. What about that? Pretty cool. I think I like that stuff. I hope you do too. So thanks to Jack for for agreeing to talk to me as we walked and it was great fun I loved being there I got to hang out with some of my favourite people and uh, one of my most favourite people of all my daughter Summer who lives up in Belfast these days and uh, yeah and 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 that was that that was great so there we go so going to finish up what have we got what time have we got here yeah about 40 minutes so we'll go to I'm going to do this little scan of the the things that I've kept on my socials. And I just found this, literally while I was listening to Jake talking there. Um, I came across this article on Twitter. And I had to snip it, or, or save it. Because it is fucking hilarious and, a, and a, a very good example actually of how propaganda works so it's a real time lesson we're about to share with you so you can see it right at the top there it's the lessons from America's astonishing economic record The Economist now the interesting thing on Twitter is you weren't allowed to reply to it there was no replies that turned the replies off so, you know, that's, uh, that's always suspicious. The world's biggest economy is leaving its peers even further in the dust. Ooh, dear, what the fuck are they thinking about? They're talking about this is insane. So check this out. I'm going to have a quick blast through this with you. If there's one thing that Americans of all political stripes can agree on, it is that the economy is broken. Donald Trump, who saw... Trade as a ripoff and his country in decline came into office promising to make America great again. President Joe Biden has spent two trillion remaking the economy, hoping to build it back better. I hate that phrase that's come from a think tank. That's just such a marketing. Marketing is the hell sin of all sins. That's where that has come from. Some marketeers in a think tank. Build back better. You hear it all over the world. Now, they're using it for Ukraine. Build back better awful. Americans are worried nearly four-fifths tell their pollsters that their children will be worse off than they are. Their children are worse off than they are. Not will be. Are. And the most since the survey began in 1990 when only about two-fifths were as gloomy. The last time so many thought the economy was such a terrible shape. It was in the throes of a global financial crisis. Which one? This is the thing. Which one? Which which global financial crisis are we talking about? The dot com boom, the two thousand and eight one, the one that we're in now. In the UK, we've had twelve years, thirteen years now of austerity, which means no investment in public services. Uh, the housing crash in the eighties, the housing crash in the nineties, the economic doldrums of the seventies, which. Which uh, through which global financial crisis are you talking about? So, 
Here's the propaganda kicking in. Yet the anxiety obscures a stunning success story out of enduring but underappreciated outperformance. America remains the world's richest, most productive and most innovative big economy. By an oppressive number of measures, it is leaving its peers even further in the dust. So what? So what? Right? So they're going to list here, um, it's just facts and figures from The Economist. I'm not, I'm not going to bore you with them. American firms own more than one-fifth of the patents registered abroad. The record is impressive. America has nearly a third more workers than 18. Blah, 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 blah. But these workers are working for less and less money. I showed you last week the difference between the, the productivity and the pay gap. Remember that? So this doesn't matter. Health insurance for the poorest has sp- expanded notably under President Bar- Barack Obama. But more and more people are, the, 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 there's the healthy insured, there are people that are insured, but their their premiums that they have to pay up front means that they're technically uninsured because they're not going to be able to afford the out-of-hand extra expenses. So you've got one of the richest economies in the world and you, your people are going to work Working themselves, in, I mean, the hardest working people on earth, by all accounts, and in, in, certainly in in uh, the West, work more hours for uh, and getting uh, for longer and longer and longer for less and less pay because of the pay gap, because of the productivity gap. So it's one of these. It's, I just, I just thought I'd share that with you. I'm going to see the last paragraph here. The last par- the last paragraph of these articles is always interesting. The more that Americans think their economy is a problem in need of fixing, the more likely their politicians already mess up the next 30 years. Well, okay. Although America's openness brought prosperity for its firms and its consumers, both Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden have turned protectionism and the politics of immigration Turn to protectionism and the politics of immigration have become toxic. Subsidies can boost investment in depraved areas. Yeah, but they're not going to do all that. So it's okay. It's papering over the cracks a wee bit, but it's still a propaganda piece, especially with that headline. Uh, it's ridiculous. So let me just blast through my, my collection here. Just So we did, we did Mick. We showed you Mick. That one. Yep. Um, there's another one of Mick. And then there's one there. Now, I haven't watched it, but I'm going to watch it. And it's this. It's an hour-long documentary on YouTube. Untold History of the United States, Bush and Obama in the Age of Terror, 2013. Bush's doctrine of an endless war against terrorism manifests in the Department of Homeland Security in Iraq, Afghanistan, and a worldwide global state. The cannibalization of the U.S. economy continues. So... Go check that out on YouTube. I will be. I haven't watched it yet. I just I, I bookmarked it in order to uh, so that I would be able to see, see it later. So I thought I'd share that with you. Uh, this one here in Ireland. This is from RTE. A record uh, eleven thousand nine hundred and eighty-eight people homeless in month before eviction ban was lifted. So the, in the south, the eviction ban. 
basically landlords aren't allowed to evict people, but it's been lifted now. The number of people who are homeless has reached a new record high, with charities that work with individuals who are homeless calling the figures deeply upsetting. Without a doubt. And in a country where there's plenty of houses, there's plenty of homes, plenty of buildings, there is space for these people, but they are ever increasingly in the hands of fewer and fewer uh, hedge funds and vulture funds and things like that and individuals who are basically landlords as a profession now I personally am not against someone owning a home and then renting it out as a, if, if it's a second home I, I'm not against that at all because we're living in a society which is increasingly in, in, increasingly harder to navigate your way through to retirement and some with some sort of sense of security. So if someone manages to go and buy a second home and then they rent it out, I don't I I don't do not blame them for that and I won't blame them for that. I don't think we should have a society where that's necess- where that is a thing that happens. People shouldn't be thinking that they're going to have to do that. We should have a, you know, our social our social safety nets should be in place, in order that and that whenever we we pay into the system, so that whenever we can't, for example, when we're elderly, or infirmed, uh, we get looked after by the system, which is the point, and you can call it whatever you like, communism, socialism, give it a, any bad word you want, it's natural, it's normal for people to do this. You can't tell me that's how we, as humans, is we look after each other. Not, I know if you're rich, if you're rich, you're not watching this or listening to this. If you're rich, you don't you don't give a fuck. I get that. Like, I understand how the part of your brain that that uh, deals with empathy has shrank to the point that it doesn't work anymore. That's a scientific fact that has been proven. Um, that that you don't you don't have to suffer empathy as you would probably um, call it. But the rest of us do. We have empathy for each other. We look after each other. And the old saying goes, that if you want charity, don't go to the rich. You go to the poor. You're not a poor man's door. He'll help you. So the fact that we live in this in a country where the increasingly more and more people are finding themselves homeless is disgusting. And if Sinn Féin get into power... In the south, in the next election, it's priority number one. I think they need to sort this out. It's fucking ridiculous, and the governments that are the government that are in place, the Finnegill Fianna Fáil coalition that is in place, clearly aren't going to do anything about it because, like the Tories, they've been in part, like the Tories in the UK, they've been in power for so long and haven't done anything thus far. So there's you said well. You created the crisis. It's not even that you sat in your hands and did nothing while this happened. They've actually created it. They are the, the p- political party of the landlords. They literally are that. And in Ireland that has had such a a marked history with landlordism. And I, mean, I go to sessions here all the time. and there's, you go, You're going to hear two or three songs about, about some travesty that happened because of a landlord. Every session you go to. You know, it's that... It permeates our 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 history so thoroughly, and that we're sitting here with with 
with this issue, this problem. And then, if we can reference it back to the rise of the far right, these Irish Alliance fucking lunatics going into working class communities. So the government is, this is an example of it, the government is doing nothing. I could, and, and I do believe that, that if you want charity, it's the working class that you go to. They, they they will help you. They will they will they will carry you. But if you're going into working class communities that are that are they're so on their knees and so decimated by cost of living crisis and manufactured crisis that governments have created for decades now, and you're expecting them to absorb an influx of immigrants who, as Mike Lynch says, are the poorest people on earth. The refugees, in a lot of cases, they have nothing. But you're expecting the people that are the poorest in your society to absorb them with no extra help. You're opening the door for the rise of these far-right fuckers who are, as I said, connected to the BNP and the loyalists here in the north who are politically and morally... In a political and moral vacuum, it's the it's the politics of hate and division, and othering, and this culture war. We've spoke about this, this culture war thing that's going on at the minute with the trans people. They're the people now. Before them, it was the Muslims. Before them, it was the Russians. Before them, it was the Irish. Before them, it was the Muslims again. Before them, it was the Russians again. Before them, it was the Irish again. You know, now it's the trans people. That's all this is. It's just culture war bullshit. Create a moral panic. I remember back in the day, people used to play, people, ruin good records, trying to play them, playing the backwards, trying to find a message from the devil. That's all that is. It's the same thing. So we've got to be smarter. We've got to be wiser. And we've got to recognise what the problem is, for what it is, when it's happening. The working class people in the south of Ireland don't have the capacity to absorb massive numbers of migrants. The government need to be... If, if you're going to be putting these people into those communities, the government need to be backing those people up with with um, resources. you can, a, you, got, you got a school classroom with 35 kids in it. You can't be putting four people that don't speak English in it. You just can't. And expect it not to be disruptive, because it will be. So... You need to put the resources there with them. If the kids are coming, if the people are coming, you need to be building them housing. You need to be allocating extra medical resources, extra social care resources, extra school resources, etc., etc., etc. But that's not what's happening. And as we can see, there's not enough houses to go around as it is. So, not I'm not excusing anybody. Please don't think I am. I'm not. These people are fucking awful. But the working class people are being used and they've been led into a trap by their government. So, now, onwards. So this is one. Now, I did... I, this is hilarious. Again, this is from RTE. Half of Irish adults do not know what the metaverse is. Do you know what the metaverse is? Half of the adults in Ireland do not know what the metaverse is, according to a new survey. The study, which was carried out by broadband company Pure Telecom, asked people about... I'd love to know who owns Pure Telecom. I bet you somebody with Facebook. 
Ask people about their knowledge of the metaverse, a virtual virtual reality world that allows people to meet and interact in interconnected 3D digital spaces and makes you feel sick. Apparently, if you keep these Googles on for uh, a couple of hours, you start to get uh, sick. Like, you're getting seasick. Awareness of the medium was found to be highest among 16 to 23-year-olds at 59%, which I would say that that's worryingly low for these people. 16 to 23-year-olds, only 59% of them are aware of what, know what the metaverse is. Which is, the metaverse, by the way, is this alternative reality that they're trying to set up on Facebook. Now, as a user of Facebook, by because I have to, because of my band, I fucking hate Facebook. I've always hated it. Hated the preppy colour scheme. Hated everything about it. But... We went on to it as a replacement for MySpace back in the day. When MySpace was busy fucking collapsing inwards, we had to go somewhere. And Facebook was the platform of choice at the time. So we did. And it's it has worked for us. We've had to work hard at making Facebook work for us. But it's getting to the point now where it's been for quite a while now. It's no longer, it's no longer working for us. And I, I'm, to be honest with you, whenever it goes, I, I can't wait. I hope it just dies. I really do. It's fucking awful. It's a disgusting place. And it's so difficult to navigate. I mean, I'm on it every day, check, you know, doing band work. And I still struggle. I, there's just, like, you can't check this unless you do this. And it's always trying to get you to take out ads and do it. It's like oh, it's awful. So that those people that own Facebook are trying to build this metaverse bullshit, which people are going for, um, and that it's as much of a disaster as Facebook is go is doesn't surprise me, because the the choices that they're making on Facebook, if it's to be reflected in the metaverse, then it's naturally going to be a fucking nightmare, isn't it? So. Back to the article, this fell to just 28% in the 55 to 73 year olds age group. Wow. A survey of more than 1,000 people in Ireland was conducted by Censuswide and found that while the metaverse is yet to catch on with many, others are excited about its potential. Who? <laughs> Everybody I'm talking to, you won't shut the fuck up about the metaverse. Don't know about you. My God. The metaverse, would you fucking wise up? One in eight of those surveyed said they would carry out their entire job in the metaverse if they could. Wow. We can't we, we can't even get people to be... We, we can't even get agreed to let people work from home. How the fuck is it? Are you going to sit in your office with this shit, this big stupid thing on your head? Pretending you're... You look like you're a, a, a character from an early Nintendo game. The graphics are awful. They're really, really bad. Really childish as well. So, there you go. I'm not going to read the rest of that. The metaverse is bullshit. We know it's bullshit. It's not going to work. Uh, nearly done. Just going to hit another couple of these. So, this is an article on Reddit. Not an article. It was a post. Just a quick thing. Socialism has never worked. Yeah, that's why the US has backed dozens of coups on socialist countries 
and installed fascist dictators who privatised the economy for the interests of America. And that's obviously referencing, making the point of when you hear the argument socialism has never worked or communism doesn't work or whatever. It's it's never been allowed to work. If socialism doesn't work, right, then America should immediately lift its embargoes on Cuba, which have been in place for 60 years now, immediately. And we can literally watch Cuba collapse in on itself because it's such a failure of an ideology. It's such a failure of an economic system. It's such a failure of a way to organize your society. Okay, so if socialism doesn't work, lift the embargoes and we will watch socialism collapse in Cuba. Right? Right? That's the logic. If you're going to state one thing, then the other must be true. If you're going to say socialism doesn't work, then lift the embargoes on Cuba and we will watch Cuba collapse in on itself and turn to capitalism as you would prefer to. Let's do that now. Let's see how, how, how that gets on. But they won't do it. I'm obviously being facetious. They won't do it because they know it's not going to happen. They know it's not going to collapse. They know it, it does work. So if you ever hear that, you can use that argument. Um, here, The next article here is Kate Hoey. So Kate Hoey is a Labour MP turned independent peer. She's from the North of Ireland here, and she's an absolute fucking monster. Kate Hoey, she's an embarrassment. She's really a massive Brexiteer and all that stuff. Kate Hoey heads out of plans for a publicly funded £150,000 statue to a 19th century American abolitionist in Belfast. Now, it's an abolitionist of slavery, that is, obviously. It's not just an abolitionist. It's Frederick Douglass. So, Frederick Douglass was born into slavery in America and went on to become a major anti-slavery campaigner. And he came to Ireland a few times. uh, Twice, twice, I think. His statue will stand in Lombard Street. Now, there's a picture of the great man. Very striking he is too. Very powerful looking facog. Baroness Hoey says, I can think of better ways for Belfast City Council to spend 150000 Now, it must be stated, she doesn't live here. She hasn't lived here in decades, since the 70s, I think. I think statues like this one should come about with donations from people living in the city or elsewhere who want to recognise and co- commemorate a figure they greatly respect. The local council should not be paying for it out of our rates which in Belfast are very high. It's not her fucking rates. She doesn't live here. And neither should Stormont Department when they're having to make difficult decisions about financial cuts. Stormont's making decisions about financial cuts because the people that she supports, the DUP, won't go back into Stormont because they don't want to be seen serving, as they would say, under. It's not under. It's alongside. It's Deputy First Minister. It's not Deputy to the First Minister. It's Deputy First Minister. Which is a phrase that they came up with. There was joint first minister. They could be joint first minister. But they chose the deputy first minister because whenever it was they were the first minister, then it was Sinn Féin. They wanted to be seen to be superior, top of the pyramid. So now they're not top of the pyramid when it comes to the to the votes that they're getting in, uh, in elections. Now they don't want to serve. 
under, as they would say it, a Sinn Féin. They don't want a Fenian about the place, is all this is. So, the, so he says, whenever they're having to make difficult decisions, they don't have to make difficult decisions. Stormont is being... is. Uh, is being forced into this position because the DUP won't go back into office. So, and it also, this opens up a Pandora's box and seems like gesture politics. Now, I would, I would say, but personally, I would disagree with that statement completely because Frederick Douglass is one of the most notable civil rights um campaigners in history he is a fantastic man he was a friend of Daniel O'Connell let me see just does it say here I'll just have a wee quick scan of this Um, during his time in the city he gave 11 talks about slavery including at Rosemary Street Church a stone's throw from where his his statue will be According to the website Frederick Frederick Douglass in Britain, Daniel O'Connell, the Irish Catholic rights advocate, dubbed Mr. Douglass the Black O'Connell. So he was a great man. He was well admired by great people in Irish history. So that's actually getting closer to the point there of why she would be against us, really, because she's against everything. Doesn't want a feeling about the place. It's one of, is 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 all it is, and because he was advocating for civil rights of black people, as Daniel O'Connell was advocating for civil rights of Irish people. Well, this is obviously this is this is what she's against. She doesn't give a fuck about spunking away for, vast fortunes of money. She doesn't care. It's nothing that it, she, if she cared about that, she would resign immediately. Because her being a baroness in the House of Lords is a waste of money. And I don't know what the salary is for, for a, 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 a... I don't know what a lord gets these days. 70, 80 grand, something like that. 300 pound a day if they turn up, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But she's costing a lot more than that. So, uh, I haven't got this loaded. So there was a poster by Andrew Train at Tonistry. Uh, it won't load in because I haven't signed in to... Twitter on this app and this is one this is good I wonder so there is this guy is Juan Guaido do you remember who Juan Guaido is Juan Guaido arrives in Miami after fleeing to Colombia and being promptly deported by the Colombian government Juan Guaido is that guy that was, I'll turn the sound off for here because the guy speaks in Spanish and you don't know what he is. But this is him walking through the airport in Miami. Juan Guaido is the guy that... Will that open? Uh, was recognised as the rightful president of Colombia, remember? Or, or not Colombia, Venezuela, remember? Um, by basically every government in the world. That was well. That was that was a, a puppet of the West, and the Venezuelan gold reserves were stolen and still have still remain unaccounted for uh, by the Bank of England. So Juan Guaido was the the CIA uh, organization of American states OAS, which is a CIA cutout. He was their 
puppet that was going to replace Nicolas Maduro uh, as the president of Venezuela. The 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 the, the in the, in the coups that were they were trying to organise, but the the Venezuelan people, thank God, didn't go for it and they fought back. And this fucking ghoul, which is nuts, he's still alive. He should be shot as a traitor. I'm not into that. I'm not into the death penalty and all that stuff. But th- this guy was a, was was a clear and present danger to his own country, and it fits the literal definition of traitor. So you can see him there walking through the airport in Miami. Which is where these people always end up in Miami. Um, Bolsonaro is in Miami, the ex-president of Brazil. So, uh, yeah, he'd get a job. He'd get some cushy job, and he'd continue to be used as a useful idiot and a to just basically to to get out there into the media and repeat the talking points that the American State Department, the CIA, want um, spewed about on social media. So this is the last one. I'm going to finish on this. This is uh, Steve O'Timothy, the comedian. And because I mentioned it earlier on. In 1841, Ireland had a population of 8.5 million. In 1801, England's, England's population was 8.3 million. By 1891, Ireland's population had decreased to under 5 million, while England's had increased to 27 million. Never underestimate the amount of devastation the famine caused. Yeah, and it it, it continued to decline. It was a very long time before it started to a curve. It bottomed out. It was a very long time. So there we go. We're done. I'm going to... There we go. We're done. We're done. I'm going to put the, the new theme tune on. Let me know. Will I keep this as the new theme tune? Or will I... Will I... Go back to the old one? I can like it. I do like it. I've been grooving out on this wee... Riff. All week. Um, so there we go. Thanks everybody. Happy International Workers' Day. Happy May Day. Up the workers. Shout out to my boy, James Connolly. The boy. The pride of Ireland and Scotland. James Connolly, there he is. I love this t-shirt. So I thought it would be appropriate to wear that today with it being International Workers' Day. There he is. Look at his big moustaches in the class. What a guy. What a hero. If, I, if we all had fucking one-tenth of the balls that man had... Um, and the decency so there we go uh, podcast all done so thanks for tuning in to politics, culture and some other shit follow me on twitter and on instagram and on patreon for one pound a month I only have one tier and it just helps me it ju- I just let it build up and then if I need to go and buy a microphone or a couple of leads or something I'd go and do that which, uh, which, which helps me out here in the studio uh, which helps me make music like this as well and I bought, bought this mic actually with money from um, the Patreon uh, last year so because I started with the different tiers if you remember before I put it down to the one and I ended up buying this mic which is gorgeous this is an English made Aston and I use it now for everything I use it on everything so that music that you're listening to is 
parts of it were recorded with this very mic. I have others. I've loads of them. Classic mics and lots of wee interesting shitty things, which are cool too. Um, but there we go. So listen, thanks a million. Really appreciate you joining me today. I'm going to throw this up. As I said, I'll go get up on the Patreon first. And then I'll upload it to YouTube and to podcast apps. So that's me. Happy May Day, everybody. Up a workers. <laughs>